different how child <laughs> i'm so glad you asked because a lot of people don't even know what a soul tie is let alone how they work listen the roots of a soul tie run very deep and are carefully planted in the seat of your emotions which gives the enemy of your soul legal grounds to enter you into an ungodly demonic covenant relationship with him and his cohort oh yeah and that relationship acts just like a marriage that is usually till death do us part that's why every time you tried to pull away from him after spending time on the altar week in and week out going through deliverance and fasting and praying and all that kind of stuff that you you did faithfully he knew exactly how to pull you right back in yes i i am saying that you were a slave and and you can all of us can become a slave to whatever controls us but this is a little different you see that emotional bond and that attachment that you had with him did not form overnight it began to form the moment that you stepped foot into the pastor's chambers for a counseling session and look i don't mean no harm but i still don't understand for the life of me how you of all people ended up on his office floor twisted and tangled up in a hole that you couldn't control yeah those filthy vows that you made that night captivated you to the point that you somehow saw beauty in his darkness and what's even sicker than that is he saw darkness beneath your beauty oh yeah <laughs> these type of predators are very strategic they are very skilled and they always prey on single mothers for some reason or wayward teens and little boys and impressionable children i mean their plans and their plots and the way that they groom their casualties until they are fatally wounded is unbelievable and i'm sure you didn't think in a million years that he would use your heartache that he would use the weaknesses that you shared with him against you did you i mean the truth of the matter is no sheep ever sees a shepherd sneak up on them from behind i mean really and this leader was very skilled in bestiality <laughs> i mean he was a leader in the public's eye but a sexual sadist behind closed doors whose appetite was never fully satisfied you see he was compulsive he was twisted and strangely overt sexually and he was driven by impulses that came from somewhere very dark and he was so skilled that he knew how to lure anybody into his web of lies and deceits and he left you lost and turned out <laughs> and he left many others on that same road that I just found you walking on several miles back. It pains me to think that you've been on that lonesome road for so long because the enemy told you that because your soul was tied to his, that it was tied for eternity and that your eternity is in the lowest realm of hell and that you would never be free again. And I'm sure you believed him because it's not like you didn't know bondage. You were already molested and you're already a victim of incest and you had already been the victim of child abuse and all kinds of emotional abuse especially in your marriage and so of course you believed him but i don't think that you really understood the unholy soul tie that you entered into that night and that that soul tie had the ability to have you suspended and lost inside of him forever 
giving into forbidden things over and over and over again. Because what he did was he locked you into a deep slumber, an emotionally fragile state, until no amount of sleep in the world could cure you from the tiredness that your soul felt. And for you, Treader, I know you're sitting in the back seat quiet and you're trying to mind your business, but there are open wounds that I see right now that will never show up on your body. Who those wounds are yours <laughs> are far deeper and more painful than anything that you can articulate. And I get your quietness, but I, like so many other people, have the ability to hear you screaming even when you're silent. You want to know why I picked you up? <laughs> because not only did I see your wounds, but I saw that you were hemorrhaging and that blood was gushing out with every heartbeat, every step that you took. There was blood leaving your body, depleting you, squeezing the little bit of life that you had in you left out. It's agonizing, isn't it? Oh, whew. I know the excruciating pain. Oh, too well. But there's so many people who don't know exactly what torment and deep agony and excruciating pain looks like. They never really know the pain that someone is in. And they can be so judgmental. Oh, God knows that I know that very well. Believe it or not, it is their incorrect inspection and verdicts that kept you away for over 37 years and kept some of us in trying to prove to them that we weren't who they said we were oh i gotta get out of this car oh god i gotta get out of this car because what you don't understand is that i've been silent inside for so many years but i was screaming for help silent screams are the loudest even though no one can hear them no one heard me no one heard me oh god i gotta get out of this car <laughs> I gotta get out of this car. <sighs> ah. Okay, 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 deep breath. Oh. Okay, get it together. Come on, get it together. Oh. Oh, you scared me. I, I didn't even see you. Where'd you come from? Oh, no, I don't need help. Well, I mean, yeah, I do, but I'm good. I just need a minute. I just need a minute. No, it's okay. I I'm good. You can just stay in the car. I'm good. Just stay in the car. <sighs> Listen, we never know when a trigger is going to happen. I mean, triggers can happen when you least expect them. I was not expecting to feel how I, I feel. I mean, when you think that all of the emotional wounds are healed, especially because of all the ministry time you put in and, and all the praying and all the fasting and delivering others and prophesying and all the hours that we spend in church, but at the blink of an eye, something can happen that reminds you that there is still a scar. And, and I, I guess I'm figuring out now that avoiding triggers is not healing. Healing can only take place when you're triggered and you're able to tread through the pain and the patterns and the story of your life and walk out the process of that pain to a different ending. No more repeat cycles. Because <laughs> when you heal what triggers you, it can no longer control you. 
And I must admit, I, I must admit, I was controlled by my pain. And I became very emotional as a result of what lied beneath all of the smiles and the laughter. Once I began to investigate what triggered me, and I realized very quickly that my worst enemy was my suppressed memory. <laughs> Deep, right? <laughs> I know, but what's crazy is I, I don't even want to go into my story just yet because I, I, I can hear you screaming too. And it's getting pretty dark out here and I would hate to pull off leaving you on this road by yourself. So you might as well get in because <laughs> we're definitely going where you're trying to get to. Yeah, I'm good. I, I'm, I just needed a minute. I'm good. <laughs> I'm good. But put your seatbelts on because I promise you this is about to be a bumpy ride. You know what's crazy? So many people think that they are the pissy pants man in apartment C or the weird guy who stares intensely as you walk down the street. But it's the ones who are the closest to you who are masters at manipulating you. And this high grade level of manipulation begins from the moment that they lay eyes on you. Yes, they are very skilled at picking you out of the crowd of many. They think of strategic ways to groom their prey, ways to grow the relationship between the hunted and eventually the killed. You know, for me, his hands on my head was uncomfortable and it definitely caused my stomach to hurt and my body to tense up and my heart to race. But I tried to focus my attention on the prayer that he was praying and not on the anxiety that I was feeling from him praying. Now, although mentally I was checked out because of the drugs that I smoked, remember, but um, spiritually I was on high alert. I knew exactly what was going on and I knew that evil was present. And so I understood that something wasn't right about his touch. Something was sensual, something was sexual, something was just completely off about his touch. And even as he prayed, I remember the underlying tone of his prayer just felt so, so demonic. It was so, so infested with uh, strategies and chaos and just torment. And I just did not understand how this man of the cloth could be so sick in the head. Now, for me, um, I was in uh, darkness for over a year. And I'll never forget, um, it seemed to be at bedtime or after hours when this grooming or the grooming rituals would begin. And so it was a lot of, you know, uh, conversation about how I was doing and, you know, was I eating and was I okay? And they were just so concerned about me and my everyday life and, and wanted to know if I was getting better. But for some reason, under the care of this predator, I was only getting worse. And I, I didn't understand that because my mom was a woman of prayer. And then I had praying people around me in her prayer circle, especially my Aunt Donna, um, who would really, really spend time warring over my mind. And so I didn't understand how this powerful man uh, was missing the mark. Now, a lot happened during that year, over over a year in, in darkness. 
uh, a lot transpired um, and a lot of, like I said, grooming. Now I remember when I came out of the denseness of that mental eclipse. I remember it like it was yesterday. I didn't understand how my mind was free, but I was still stuck in this murky, thick place because of all that had transpired over that year. And I did not understand how to transition from mental freeness, so to speak. You know, I had my mind back, but my mind kept going back to those places that it had been taken to as a child. And I just remember um, I became very aggressive and very rebellious. I remember acting out in ways that I never even imagined acting out in. Like it was it was complete opposite of who I was. Because as a child, I didn't even understand that sometimes the things that we do to numb the pain creates more pain. And so my mother and I, we were very close and she did not understand for the life of her what was going on with me. Um, but I felt so much pain that I started to feel nothing. I literally could not embrace the love that she was giving me. I could not embrace friendship. I could not embrace anything. All that I was concerned about was numbing the pain. And I remember going through a deep depression at this point. I wanted to sleep, y'all, until I felt better. And better just never came. I don't care how much I reached for better. I promise you all that I got was worse. And it was it was the, the, the place that I would not wish on my worst enemy. Uh, the torment that was in that place was un, unbearable at times. And I, I remember curling up at night and just trying to cry myself to sleep. And I would sleep was nowhere to be found. All that I remember was these, these things that would come up. Uh, I remember what I felt like and I was terrified uh, anytime I was in the presence of this monster. But I got to a point where all that I could feel was numb. <laughs> uh, all that I could feel uh, was my soul breaking. Now when your soul breaks, it doesn't make a sound, <laughs> but an echo of silence <laughs> is what you hear. And it's somewhere in between the emotions that you're feeling. Uh, and it's this, it's, this, it's this hopelessness and this numbness that you just want to escape into and never come back from. That's where I was at. It was the best way that I could describe what I was feeling. And, and, and childhood trauma will change your adult life. This level of trauma caused so many to become broken, tortured adults. And it's crazy because as an adult, I found myself doing exactly what others who have been abused do. Uh, buried my feelings, I moved on, I got married, I had my own children, and tried to put all of that behind me. But I realize now that I had only put a band-aid over an untreated open wound that had no ability to heal because it wasn't treated properly. And at some point in my life, I remember becoming exhausted from trying to feel and be stronger than I actually was. And it wasn't until I talked to a young lady who made me remember the things that I stuffed 
deep down in the hard drive of my mind, tucked safely away, never to remember them anymore. She caused these triggers to hit my life <laughs> that sent me into a downward spiral. And her story was so, so unique because it, it was so similar to mine. But what happened with her is that she met her rapist in 1986 while staying at her grandmother's home for the summer. And she was introduced to her rapist at Vacation Bible School. And he was her teacher and also the pastor's 23-year-old son. So out of all of the teens in her class, somehow he managed to win her over with his charm. Now he was a master manipulator and he specialized in child pornography like his daddy. But we'll get to him in a few. She was barely 14 and she went to stay with her grandmother because her uncle who lived in her home couldn't keep his hands to himself. And one day, you know, vacation Bible school, we all know that that's where they're taught the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's where they are taught scripture memorization and they're taught uh, friendship and they're taught how to treat your neighbor and love your neighbor and pray for your enemies. And we're taught all of these things in vacation Bible school. But one day um, during a, a field trip, they went to the lake for a barbecue and all the children are running around and they're playing and they're swimming and they're having a blast uh, eating and singing and everybody is there so of course no one would think that anything would happen like what happened to her but as she was playing you know she ran to go use the ladies room and uh, she goes into the ladies room and who comes into the ladies room with her and so we all know that he had to be watching her very closely and very carefully. And he had to have had some type of demented plan in place because he followed her into that bathroom. And remember, a lot of pools and stuff like that or lakes or anything where you can have a campground or a cookout place, you know, in a playground or anything like that. Remember, they have two entrances and exits. And the bathrooms in these places on these campgrounds or at the lakes or any place like that, as you know, there are two sides. You can go in on the right or the left. Now, as she came out of the stall to wash her hands and go back to playing with her friends and, and swimming, he lured her out on the right side where no one was. <laughs> and he raped her at the lake by the dock. No one heard her screaming because he covered her mouth. And do you not believe that after he was done, he had the nerve to grab a towel and twisted this towel and threatened to take her life <laughs> if she told anybody what transpired. And she knew that he was telling the truth because she said that when she looked into his eyes as he raped her, that she saw pure evil. And she did not dare to challenge this evil that she saw because she knew that he would keep his promise. Her rape was so brutal, <laughs> but more brutal than that was the state that it left her in. And this whole entire summer, she endured rape after rape after rape at the park, in the church, 
on the pews, <laughs> in the bathrooms, in the basement, you name it. Every chance that he got, he could not wait to put his hands on this child. But one particular day um, after church, she says she will never forget it. Um, this is when things turned. He decided to rape her again in the park that he frequently raped her at. But this one particular day, uh, the rape was so intense and so brutal that she ran home. And when she arrived home, her mother saw that she had blood and dirt on her and realized that something happened to her. And she took her to the hospital. Now the police found out that she knew her rapist. And it was at that point that the police went to his home and apprehended him and he was arrested. And when news spread through that community and throughout that church that the son of this pastor was arrested for rape, immediately children began to come forth from this church and from this community who had been a part of vacation Bible school and all kinds of other programs that they had yearly. Come to find out, the son wasn't the only one molesting and raping. So was the dad. Many little boys and little girls came forward. And, and the father was into child pornography. And they took boxes of Polaroid pictures with children in compromising positions and new pictures, you name it. And so they had tons of evidence against them before the trial even started. And of course they were found guilty and they were sentenced and her mother began to put her in therapy so that she could start the healing process. But man, her, her story triggered something in me that I wouldn't wish on my worst enemy. I promise you, I, oh, even when I think about it now, it takes my breath away because I'm still being processed. Uh, I'm still taking the band-aid off slowly and allowing that wound to breathe and allowing the infection to seep out. <laughs> I'm, I'm just taking the band-aid off and I understand that childhood trauma caused me <laughs> to be a broken, tortured, tormented doll. Oh no, come on Treader! now you gotta extend some mercy extend some grace be back there tweaking for a reason and i know i'm not putting them out the car and know you're going to settle down matter of fact just move over just give him a little bit of room matter of fact let him breathe when we picked you up you was tweaking too don't act like you forgot just because you got up this road just a little bit faster than he has move over put your seatbelt back on and and, and settle down his story is crazy just like yours i promise you you have no idea and look at you you doing the same thing to him that people just got finished doing to you cut it out i promise you that's not cool that's not cool that's not cool now i'm gonna give you just a snippet of his story since you you don't know what's going on with him he was groomed by his older cousin and his older cousin came to him one night and after he had this big fight with the other cousins, you know, he goes down to the living room and he's sitting on the couch crying and he's watching TV trying to collect his thoughts because he had been getting teased at school 
every day. And when he came home from school, he was being teased by his cousins who went to the same school. Now imagine being called gay. And you know what that feels like. And sissy and, and faggots and all those things just because you're different by people who should be your peers and people who should be your friends. And this went on every day. And so he's sitting on the couch trying to collect himself and crying because he started to believe what they were saying. And as he's crying and, and trying to just watch TV, here comes his older cousin. And he's saying, listen, I know that you're upset and if you want, you can just sleep in my room tonight and you know, nobody won't bother you. I'm not gonna even let them bother you. And come to find out this older cousin who just so happened to be very, very much so involved in church as a musician, decides to have him sleep in his room that night. And then here's where the grooming started. He says things like, have you ever kissed a girl? And do you like girls? And of course, he had never kissed a girl. He was literally only 15. And so as he began to probe more, he began to say things like, well, I can show you how to kiss, but you just can't tell anyone. And so although this young man did not know that this was wrong, he felt like, okay, I don't like the feeling, but if he's my older cousin and I look up to him and he wants to teach me how to like girls and how to kiss girls and how to talk to girls, then I'm gonna let him show me because I'm, I'd rather do that than be teased every day. So he, he felt like he had something to prove. And so his older cousin would always wait until later at night and uh, make sure that everyone was asleep. And then he began to groom him. And so he, he went from touching his, his leg to, you know, moving his hand up a little closer to his private area. And then that would go from one, one place to another. And he began to kiss him, you know, uh, softly at times. And then he would move his tongue into his mouth and all these other things to teach him how to become one of the cool kids who liked girls and, you know, could get a girl at any time. And so... Over time, um, this kissing and, and all of those things transformed into heavy kissing and fondling, which led to rape. And after the rape, uh, this, this cousin of his started to molest him over and over and over and over again. And that it didn't just end there. The cousins who were teasing him joined in on the molestation. <laughs> And so this went into a whole nother level of perversion where they started making him perform sexual acts on, on them. They would begin to have sex with each other um, over and over and over again. And so at one point, he didn't even realize that he had a voice. He knew that he, he could not tell anyone because no one would believe him. Uh, and this, this is things that, that he was told. And so at some point, he understood that, um, you know, if he, he took power back somehow, that he would make it all stop. And so he became very fed up with the things that they were making him do. And he didn't like it at all. Uh, and he didn't even realize that he was 
a little boy who was just growing into a teenager and and becoming you know uh confident enough to talk to girls or you know and, and be friends with anybody and so at this point um he came he became so fed up that he would urinate on them <laughs> uh to stop the abuse um because he couldn't physically stop them and so after a while this tormented young man that you're sitting next to that you see tweaking <laughs> began to get heavily involved in street walking and uh he was selling himself just to make money and make ends meet because he could no longer live with these people and so he he became homeless a homeless teen who was out in the streets doing whatever he could do would y'all like to call something strange for some change? You never know what mindset somebody is in or why they're out in the streets. You never know. And so this street walking young man <laughs> who began to dress up and began to try to make himself look like somebody else to disguise himself. He began to dress up to make sure that his classmates didn't know that it was him. Everybody knew it was him, but he didn't know that they knew that it was him. And so... The teasing just never stopped. None of it never stopped. And so what you see is someone who was so involved in the mental torment that he began to believe the lies of the enemy and he became what they said that he was because he thought that was the only way that he can get out of. But the enemy has a way of making you stay in and go deeper and deeper down that rabbit hole until he has you forever. And so, yeah, of course I picked him up. I, I mean, he stopped to help me. So why wouldn't I pick him up? <laughs> Yo, people really crack me up. And, and you're one of them at this point. I, I, I'm not going to put you out my car, though, because I know how it feels when you think that you're out of something and you look at somebody else's situation and 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 you think that you've arrived uh and so i know that i know the the place that you're in you feel a little better about yourself so you, you sometimes look down on others hello um we're all treaders and we're all trying to get somewhere so let's get there and let's get there uh, nicely okay all right let's go you know what really sent him out there <laughs> Because the days that uh, his cousin would molest him and, and, you know, they would molest him, they tried to convince him that he liked it because he was aroused. And, you know, his reaction um, made them think that he liked it. And he started to believe that, well, maybe I do like it in some strange way. And it wasn't the sexual part of this act that he liked. What he craved was the attention that he got from them because nobody cared he was a foster kid who was given away and his aunt decided to uh you know adopt him and so he felt like you know my parents didn't want me and um and here i am my aunt is never around she's always at work we're always by ourselves and so he was just craving love and attention and affection genuine love and attention and affection that all of us crave but what he got in return was uh, that sensual love that comes from Satan. And he did not understand the difference. And so when he got out in these streets, he literally became attached to and connected to those who were was giving him that type of attention. And he thought that sex equaled love. 
like a lot of us did at one point. <laughs> don't front, okay? Please don't front. Uh, so that uh, summer, this it was the summer um, of around 1988 when he had this intense reaction to the uh, triggers that came up in his mind and he could not handle these triggers and one of his roommates walked in um, and, and found a suicidal note and he wrote a letter to his parents and he wrote a letter to you know his aunt and he wrote a letter to his, his rapist and so this letter um, stated you know listen <laughs> I hate the body that I live in and apparently so do my rapists and my abusers and so do, does every man that I've ever slept with um, and he said apparently you guys hated me enough to give me away too and those uh, who tease me hate the body that I'm in and hate the way that I looked and he also said that um, his parents who were so quick to give him up um, you know away into the hands of more abuse and he said even God hated the creation <laughs> you know that he created uh, and so he was really feeling some type of way and he wrote that the best way that he knew how and one one of the things that he said stuck out uh, he said that um, the best way to feel better was to end his life because it was too painful to stay here and his friend walked in just in time and I know that it was the hand of God um, who had his friend walk and read that letter and run into his bedroom just as he kicked the chair from under him and began to hang himself. And his friend got him down just in time, got him to the hospital and got him the help that he needed. Um, and he only landed in a, a mental ward and he's been in these streets ever since. So do you understand the detriment of me stopping and picking him up yes he's tweaking because he hasn't had a hit since before i picked him up you see that <laughs> so you just never know what somebody is going through or what they've been through keep your mouth off of people and cover them until they recover because wounded children have a rage and a sense of failed justice that burns into their souls what do they do with that rage some of them turn that rage into harming another child but some of them turn that rage inward and they become the target of their own rage they repeat in their thoughts the same harmful words that were spoken to them and the deep pain that they're in causes them to lash out but the only ones that they're actually weak enough to attack are themselves let me tell you something about trauma trauma permanently changes us and this is the big scary truth about it there is no such thing as getting over it because all emotions even those that are suppressed and unexpressed have physical effects <laughs> oh yes oh yes they do you see unexpressed emotions tend to stay in the body and over time, they become illnesses in incubation.